listening to the Derek Sante Podcast, the show that brings you insightful conversations about everyday topics. We just aim to keep the discussion above the average. Our guests are the ones bringing the social proof to the conversation. Let's get into it. I'm your host, Derek Sante, and today we are kicking it with a friend of mine. And I mean a real friend of mine. I mean, I for one don't use that label loosely. And um, I'm really excited to spend this moment with this special individual. I want to share this opportunity with everyone listening as we share some of our experiences over the years and how this bond came to form what it is today. You've met her before in a different capacity, but today she's with me as a friend and please help me welcome my friend, sister, Heidi Serio. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be uh, to be joining you and for this topic. Right. Um, fabulous. I, I, yeah, I just wanted us to kind of have one of our conversations, but along the way, I'm going to obviously ask questions that some of them I may not even have the answers for. And, and you know, and we'll kind of bounce it back and forth. But I think you have a lot to share and that's primarily the reason why I bring people on the show, obviously, and for you to come back again is because I want to speak to you from a different perspective um, and share some of those journey experiences that you've gone through. And, and I think a lot of people will benefit from that as well. So that's why I have you back. Well, thank you. Now, I open with a quote, as you know. Um, the quote I have for you is this, and then I want to get your opinion on, on the quote and what comes to mind when you hear it. It reads... The most beautiful discovery true friends make is that they can grow separately without growing apart by Elizabeth Foley. Uh, I think that that is the truth about every healthy relationship you can foster with anyone. I think um, so, so often, so often we think that we need to kind of remain kind of, constant and in the same way consistently with our friends as we voyage through life and how is that possible right, right. we're each evolving in the independent of of our friendships and relationships we're each experiencing and ingesting and that shifts who we are and it may shift how we interact and what the relationship looks like the truth of a friendship, the truth of a relationship is that that capacity to to continue yeah. regardless of 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 how the evolution evolution goes. And that I think that's embedded in a respect for the fact that that the admiration is for the person. Yeah. Yeah. And that remains unchanging. Yeah. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that, right? Because I know mm-hmm. some people that are in, in friendships or relationships and it's reliant on how frequent they speak mm-hmm. or engage with the other person in a particular way. And if that doesn't happen, then, oh, well, it's not a real friend. Right. You know, it's such a limited scope of what, what a relationship should be. And so this one really, you know, hit home for me. Go ahead. I, I agree completely. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. I was saying to myself, like, man, there were, there were years where you and I were sharing space almost daily and uh, uh, sorry hours at a time Mm -hmm. 
And then there have been periods of time where we haven't we haven't been able to connect for whatever reason for months at a time. Yeah. And I feel like no matter what, um, you know, I hate the cliche it picks up where we left off because yeah. I, I don't know that it picks up where we left off, but it never it never requires a rebuilding. Right. Right. It's a resumption, but not a rebuilding. And it's always, you know, an opportunity to, to, to share and laugh about, you know, what has been happening in, in those gaps. Um, And I feel like the conversations were, were just as robust also when we were seeing each other. (laughs) (laughs) Like never a shortage of things to think about out loud together, to uh, challenge and debate. Um, I think that's one of the things that I've really appreciated about our friendship over the years is that it's always found a way to be meaningful and it's always found a way to work regardless of where your life has gone or mine. Yeah. And I I think what's, what's even beautiful, more beautiful about it is, is the simple fact that you're allowed to be yourself and I'm allowed to be myself. And And in that space, as long as that happens, we can always have something new to share. We can have a difference in opinion or perspective, but that's the beauty in it. We can throw it back and forth. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't allow the other person to grow, then you can't expect them to be better in, in other capacities because you mm-hmm. haven't allowed them to grow. And I think the beauty in that time apart too is growth, right? So you get to do a whole bunch of new things or the same things, but learn something new about it, whatever it may be. And when you reconnect, we can share those differences or nuances that mm-hmm. we've now, you know, discovered. So absolutely, it's, it's, it's crucial. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Now I want to go back to like way back. I'm old. So that's far. Oh man. Now, where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Thunder Bay and we left Thunder Bay when I was very, very young. I would say the majority of my childhood was here in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, different parts of Toronto. We moved around a lot. Yeah. Um, I think uh, for some people, you know, moving a lot means that you don't really uh, settle anywhere. You don't feel a connection to anywhere in particular. I feel differently. I feel like every neighborhood my parents moved me into mm-hmm. became another part of who I am. Um, I feel pretty strong connections, you know, to uh, having lived in High Park and lived in Queen West and lived out near Pape and uh, lived at Christy Pitts and Wow Roncy and we we definitely moved around a lot. Um, but I would say my my heart uh, my heart is definitely still Jane and Finch always will be. Uh, it's the one place I think of as home all the time. Even though I didn't move there until uh, my early teens, mm-hmm. um, and prior to that, I was down in the Saint Clair West area, which is Saint Clair West Eglinton West, which is and now my home again. Right. So I feel a strong connection to this neighborhood as well. Wow, a loyal a... West Ender. yes west end all day every day (laughs) so wait so jane and finch now what was special about that community when you were there oh you know 
having having lived in a lot of different neighborhoods and kind of coexisted with a lot of different um, communities and cultural groups in the different neighborhoods we lived in, landing landing in Southside Finch that just felt right. Mm. I, like I I don't know how to explain how you know I, I was going to school near where was I? Uh, Mount Pleasant in Eglinton. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a very different kind of community. And a number of people said, oh my goodness, why in the world would you guys be moving up there? And I thought, what's the big deal? Uh, Who cares what I'm seeing on the news? What's the big deal? Once I was up there, I just felt so at home. I felt so in my skin. I found it so easy to build relationships and make friendships with people. Many of those friendships have remained. it just, uh, it felt like the most authentic place I had lived. Nice. Um, and, and it, it felt, it immediately felt like I was home. So, you know, traveling around in the middle of the night, coming from work or from hanging out downtown never was an issue for me. I never felt unsafe in my neighborhood. Now, Not once. I'm, I'm trying to see if we can get a visual for those listening. If you had to give a visual reference of of your neighborhood during that time, what would you like? How would you describe it? Um, well, I guess uh, the part of the community that I lived in on one side of the street was and still is Toronto housing. The other side of the street was always referred to as the Italian side because it was predominantly Italian families mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, that had kind of established their roots since the 60s um the neighborhood was very divided uh it was very polarized the the sides of the street meant a big deal um and uh and i think that you know when i when i first moved into the neighborhood it was just uh i think other people saw the neighborhood as as a space filled with uh, disparity, right? Like you're mm-hmm. you're moving into a neighborhood full of people who are on assistance and people who are living in housing and single mother households. And I thought, great. Yeah. I mean, I I personally now I'm a single mom. I personally think a single mother household is a very powerful household. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't see it as a deficit. So yeah. I had the opportunity to kind of um learn how other people were living that was similar to how I was living, but also different than how I was living. And, and I was able to explore a lot of different um, kind of different kind of family scenarios and, and experiences, a lot of people who were newcomers, a lot of people who weren't newcomers. And it just felt like a very connected. And I think the community was very, very connected. And I think it continues to be very connected despite what a lot of people would see. And I think when I first moved up there, it was, it was early on, there wasn't as much reporting of community violence right. back then. Um, I think a lot of the times the things that happened in the neighborhoods wasn't even important enough to be shared on the news. Right. Um, so a lot of the stories were very disconnected and it was kind of, you know, you would hear people say, oh, you don't want to be in Jane and Finch. And in fact, when I lived in Europe I and was visiting England, people had no reference point to 
Toronto versus uh, Vancouver. But the moment I said Jane and Finch, everybody knew where I was from. They had this concept of the community. And um, most of the time it was very negative, but I would have to say, I'm so proud that my children were born up there. Um, But it's home. And uh, it just like a wealth of, a wealth of, of culture and perspective and understanding. Uh, Yes. Under-resourced. Yes. Underappreciated. Yes. Undervalued. Um, But just amazing families and amazing young people that I had the privilege of, of kind of growing up around and, and, you know, experimenting and, sometimes (laughs) sometimes <laughs> crazy risk taking with, but that's what your, your younger years are supposed to be. And, and I feel very fortunate. Yeah. What, what type of student were you in oh, high school? Oh, um, <laughs> oh, wow. I, I think that I would probably choose to describe myself as an excellent student. Um, <laughs> but I would bet that many of my teachers would disagree. Yeah. Um, I, I was far more um, combative when I was younger. Um, okay. I think I'm still argumentative a lot of the time. And I, I do but with, have with a, good uh, reason. I mean, it's, it's not like yeah. it's, it's ignorance, but go I, ahead. I like to debate, yeah, right? Yeah. And, um, and I don't know that necessarily in school, um, all, all teachers uh, respond well to a student who is challenging and, no. and um, yeah, <laughs> off to <laughs> debate things. Uh, I so I started my high school career in a gifted program in in the city of Toronto and then ended up actually I I made the decision to drop out on my 16th birthday because that's when I was allowed to uh because I felt I felt that high school wasn't for me I didn't feel like I was learning anything mm-hmm. I didn't feel challenged even in that program yeah. um and then I quickly became very, very bored. Um, although I was working, it just, I didn't have enough stimulation. And it's interesting because now, you know, into my 40s, I still feel most at home when I'm in a learning environment. Um, <laughs> that's pretty telling, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so I I returned to school uh, and I went to C.W. Jeffries uh, up in the neighborhood. And um and it it definitely was a very different academic environment than I was used to. Right. So far far fewer uh, higher level classes available. Mm-hmm. Far far fewer students in each of the class classes that I was in. So it was it was definitely an interesting space. Um, and I had the chance to um, I had the chance to actually audit. For science, I, I I took a I got credit at Jeffries, but I audited some classes at York, which was an exception that they made for me, and I was appreciative of that. Um, I think once once there was an understanding that that maybe because of my experience in the gifted program, I had already um, maybe accomplished some of the curriculum that they were sharing, right. and so in a, in an effort to keep me attending school. Um, I think that's what, what some of the teachers were, were willing to do, which I was, which it was actually great, great fun. That's when I first learned about eugenics, which became something that was really compelling and interesting to me. So, um, yeah, I, so I, I did really enjoy Jeffrey, but I 
still was very challenged with the idea of, you know, showing up for class regularly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so you skip yeah. frequently? <laughs> I, I'm, you know, my attendance was just, you know, I, I was that student that would be, sir, can I go to the washroom? And then I just leave. And don't return. And not come back. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, and that was definitely, definitely something that, that, um, that I would have been known for, but I think, um, and, and, and whether, whether fortunate or unfortunate, I, I don't know, but I think sometimes because I excelled academically, uh, permissions were made and, and that was even in the gifted program. I struggled there too with showing mm. up. Um, and a lot of the times I, I felt bored and I didn't feel challenged and I, uh, didn't feel connected, um, especially in the gifted program. I, I didn't really appreciate uh, the way that that I understood them teaching some students versus other students, yeah. and this the prioritizing that I was noticing happening, and, mm. and in a school that had a very uh, substantive football program, seeing the difference between being, you know, a gifted kid. And uh, somebody who played football and, and how people were treated differently. And there was definitely a lot of um, class and race issues at that high school yeah. that I thought were very much represented in the streaming program. And so, you know, I when I decided I wanted to be a cheerleader, <laughs> that wasn't a thing that gifted students did. <laughs> so I, I was constantly being reminded that that wasn't the space for me. Wow. And that, um, you know, the gifted students don't do that. That's, that's for the students who are in the general street. And did, did you end up getting to do that at some point? Oh, or I no? did it anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah, perfect. I did it anyway. Perfect. Yeah. I, I felt like this is fun and I want to have fun. And, <laughs> so, um, and, and again, my combative nature, the more somebody is going to tell me that I shouldn't like something, the more I'm going to delve into it to right. figure out whether or not I like it. Um, wow. for myself. So, and then after Jeffries, I ended up, um, going to run a need to, to finish. Okay. So I ended up taking quite a while to finish high school. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, did you take advantage of the OAC and all the, all those things? That... Oh, yes. Okay. So yes, I, I, I mean, I took a long time in high school, but I also ended up graduating with, uh, way too many credits. I, by the time I was at Runnymede, I was taking night school every semester. I was just constantly in class. And I don't know if part of that was me trying to <clears throat> distract myself from some of the other things that, you know, I, I mean, I, I noticed that I was trending towards getting into trouble a little more often. And, right. and so I was always trying to balance that out with, mm. with trying to achieve something. So, um, I was pretty keen on finishing with enough OACs to, at that point, my objective was medical school. And, um, and, and so I was really, I was, I was really determined to, to represent, represent myself as well as possible, yeah. knowing that I had left, uh, you know, one of the ideal on paper, ideal high schools to then continue to less ideal high schools that don't, necessarily uh that, that aren't necessarily perceived the same way on a university application um and i knew that that was something that i would have to overcome i did a lot of volunteering um 
So, and I tried to kind of restructure. What, like, I'm trying to get a, a visual for those listening. I'm, I'm kind of familiar with it. Uh, my era, you know, came shortly after yours. Yes. But what did a person have to do during those years in high school to survive in that era as a young person? Like, what were some of the things that, you know, as a teen you had to go through that was almost oh. like a rite of passage or, um, wow, you know, things that mm-hmm. young people did to pass time? Yeah. Um, I, I would say that some of the, some of the biggest challenges probably, um, you know, I, I definitely noticed in, in my era in high school, uh, issues and, and not even in a gendered perspective, but issues around eating disorders and body image Hmm. were very, very prominent. And, and I say not gendered because I actually had male friends who at the time were very, very, very caught up in eating disorders and, and body dysmorphia. And of course we didn't have all of that language for it at the time. We did know anorexia and bulimia and, um, and it was actually really common. Um, Also, there was a lot of experimentation with, with drugs in, in high school, um, especially when I was in a city center high school, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which I think it also goes against, I think a lot of people's perspectives. So when I was in the more affluent high school, Definitely drugs were a bigger issue. You know, people would have like LSD relapses in the hallway. Oh, wow. People were leaving school um, in ambulance. And then versus versus at Jeffrey's, you just didn't see that. Right. It, it wasn't something that was happening in school. Um, and it wasn't prominent in terms of how we all interacted with each other. Um at Jeffrey's, there was definitely a lot of issues around um, race um, and divisiveness in the school, mm-hmm. and that was something that um, that I think they tried to address by by bringing in speakers, and that tended to ignite and inflame the scenarios even more. Um, so I think that was the like the predominant issue. Mm-hmm. And Jeffries was kind of. You know what's interesting with Jeffries, where it's located. Yes. Very interesting location, right? Like when you think yeah. about it, it's it's not in the neighborhood where majority of the kids came from. No. Yeah. And so I can only imagine it makes sense to me why those things were prominent issues. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because it's not located where those kids are from technically. So yeah. now this community that the school is based in has to adjust to these kids coming in. Right. And that's the challenge, right? So the challenge is, well, well, they don't look like my kids. And so that means you're going to bring my property value down. What is that? Like the stereotypes were kind of running through those families' heads, I'm sure. And I wonder how many people actually moved out because of that. Like, I know that was a thing back when, you know, the redlining and, and whatnot, but I'm curious if that had an influence on people deciding to stay in that neighborhood where the school is located or move out. I'm I'm sure it did. You know, as a as a parent now, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, my my kids are older than school age, but I mean, and you as a parent, you you think about these things. So I wouldn't be surprised if parents were thinking about it back then. Right. And I think back then, because 
the the population numbers were were different in Toronto, it was a lot easier to move high school. Like yeah. it wasn't, I you know, to move my children from school to school has been, it was challenging. Yeah. In in more recent uh, years, but when I was in high school, I just I just changed school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was it's it. True. I it's just true. I just walked in <laughs> one day and said, I don't want to go there anymore. Yeah. I'm coming here. Yeah. And you know, and as long as my school record didn't show that I was uh, a huge problem, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> they would accept you. Um, and I know my record showed that I was somewhat of a problem, but <laughs> as long as it didn't show I was a huge problem, yeah, yeah. then then they would nec- they they would you know consider I was never refused entry to high school. Yeah. Um, and it was before all the zero tolerance policies took effect as well. So yeah. um, so it was much easier. And and I also understand and recognize that I come from a lot of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that I was coming from a gifted high, high school program, the fact that, you know, I um white, I have parents who are school administrators, you know, on 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 paper, you know, I guess I'm malleable. I I look like the student that they want to have because I'll bring, you know, scores up and I'll uh, contribute well to the status of the school and right. the school community and blah, blah, blah. I mean, typically I didn't because I challenged authority so much, yeah. but, um, but I think on paper at the, at least initially I was, I was welcome. And I think it was also because transferring schools was, was so much easier back then. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, the, the, the dropout rates were, were pretty high when they first introduced OACs. Yeah. Um, it was, it was definitely the first time that it was clear that there there was kind of a funneling and a filtering of students from, you know, from that students who were perceived to be university bound versus those who were not. Right. And that was the sole purpose of the OAC program right. was, you know, you, you would finish your, you would finish your diploma with grade 12 and you would earn your OACs specific to the university program that you were trying to get into. So um, depending on the direction you were going, they would tell you these are the six that you, you know, these are the six that you should have, or these are the mandatory three to get into this particular program. And then any other three that you wanted. Um, I was indecisive. So I graduated with, with nine OACs. Nice. Rather than six. <laughs> I, Too many. <laughs> I wanted all the sciences. I needed all the Englishes. I don't know what was in my head, but, yeah. um, but it was just, I, I was, I was uncertain the direction I was going in because the programs all had slightly different requirements. Yeah. I had to get the extra credits to be able to apply. Did you, um, did you ever get, you know, to that space. I don't know if you did as a teen, but I would assume because of obviously what you were exposed to, but did you recognize that you had privilege in some spaces and didn't in other spaces? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. I definitely did. Very, very early on. Um, I think even before I understood that there was like, um, that I had a, like a race privilege, mm-hmm. I understood that I had, um, I had I had the privilege associated with 
my understanding of the language. And I, I recognized very early that I could use language to get what I wanted a lot easier than some of my friends. So, but where did that come from? Like, where did that understanding come from? How did you discover that? Where did you, where the, was it through conversations or? Such a great question. Um, you know, it might actually be from my family. It might actually be from my family <laughs> simply because like as, as, as siblings, we were all very, very different, mm-hmm. but I was still, you know, even at home, I was the quote unquote smart one. So, you know, helped with my older brother's homework all the time, even though he was in grade 13 because it existed and, <laughs> and I was still in middle school, you know, um, but I would help with his homework and, you know. <laughs> and, oh gosh, and he, big brother's going to get you, man. <laughs> no, right? I didn't name which brother. <laughs> um, he knows. You know, he knows. <laughs> We'll say it was just French because I was fluent. It was only a French homework. Um, and then even even earlier, you know, being um, being pulled aside in in elementary school, and and it was suggested that I skip a few grades. My mother was concerned that if I did that, I would end up in my sister's class, and it would just make things challenging for her for her as the parent at home mm. um, because there was already there was already kind of a, an understanding at home that, that, that all the siblings said, you know, she's the browner, she's the keener, she's the smart one, you know, and I would describe myself as a geek and a nerd and whatever. Um, but I, but I understood that that made me different. And so I, I very quickly learned how to, to harness that. Um, I mean, big family, lots of kids, you had to figure out what your survival strategy was. Right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 mine was was often being able to confuse other people enough to, to get myself <laughs> where I needed to go <laughs> while they tried to understand, you know, my my point or you know, or looking up the word in the dictionary. Yeah. Um, and I did do that with my siblings a lot, and um, and I think that that just started to kind of spill over and carry over into other other parts and other relationships in my life where I thought, you know, we're in the middle of, we're in the middle of getting ourselves in trouble. Okay. You know what? Let's see if I can talk us out of this. Everybody else, let's just quiet down and and I'm going to see if this can work. And once I started to notice that it was working in other spaces, it was just something that I, I started to do kind of all of the time. And I think it actually is, is, is a, is a lot of now that I'm thinking about it, a lot of how I ended up doing a lot of the work that I've done around advocacy mm. um, is 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 recognizing that I that I have been able to sometimes force my way through a door, um, and and if I can do that, then I'm going to hold it open for everybody else. Now, what was a situation where you recognize that my privilege card is not going to work for me? in this situation? Is there one moment where you remember uh, you're like, hmm, as a teen, you know, uh, this is not going to work over here? Um, I would definitely say at my first high school. Um, mm. And my first high school, it didn't, there, there definitely was a moment shortly before I decided to drop out on my 16th birthday. <laughs> uh, right. I realized like, 
oh, they've, they've figured me out. Right. Um, so the race privilege didn't work at all because it was a predominantly white high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have affluence or family status behind me like a lot of the other students right. did. Right. So really it was my gift of gab. And as soon as my gab had been contrarian too many times, um, that it was no longer a gift. It became a curse. And uh, so there would there, you know, there were definitely, you know, moments where they were threatening me with suspension or right. what have you for, for, you know, like I said, I would, I would sometimes take a lot of risks, uh, um, goof around. And, uh, I think innately, I just enjoy challenging authority. And so, I would wait for them to put up a rule and then I would find a way around it. Um, So I think, I think that's, that's really like the first time I I realized that that could happen. Um, And, and, and it appeared in, in my grade. And that was, that was a bit of a shocker for me. (laughs) The, The first time I actually saw a grade that probably is what I earned as opposed to what I I always assumed I deserved. Right. I was a little thrown off. Nice. Now, it's yeah, it's important. No, I think it's important. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that because yeah. I know I know there are different levels to obviously the privilege, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, thing. And and so I'm aware that I'm privileged in certain spaces and not so privileged in other spaces. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you share that because I want people to recognize that it's not just race, right? Like it's not just gender and it's not just one thing, but it's a, it's a series of things, right? And that yeah. come together and, and formulate that privilege uh, based on every scenario is different. Every scenario requires mm-hmm. different, you know, different standards and, and I guess expectations or or stereotypes. And so, um, exactly. yeah, so that kind of helped there. Now, what's, if you had to name one thing in your universe currently, what is the best thing about your world right now that you're enjoying? Oh, the best thing about my world, I, despite the fact that they're all in their 20s, the best thing in my world is my three kids, hands down. Um, every day, I, every day I, I think to myself, like, how, how did I win this lottery three times? Yeah. <laughs> how did I do this? Yeah. Um, I am just so uh, impressed and in awe of the human beings that they are. Not to say that they're perfect. Um, they each have their own nuances and challenges and, um, and their own struggles that they work through. But, you know, I, I feel like, I, like I'm their fan. You know, and uh, each of them, I'm so like, hey, I know her. (laughs) You know, I'm so, I'm so impressed by them all the time, Um, and just watching them. You know, even even more so now as they are quote unquote adulting, Mm -hmm. um, seeing how they navigate that uh, is has just been. Like wow, I was I was part of this from the beginning. Yes, that is amazing. So I think that is hands down. Yeah. I, honestly, um, um, I have. I feel like I have had you know a courtside seat. 
into yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, like watching have. them. Every time I see them, I'm just like, holy shoot. Okay. I have to remember. Okay. They do get bigger. They do get bigger. Yes. <laughs> now they're bigger <laughs> than me. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you have the luxury of seeing some of them sleeping on winter coats on the floor right? behind the counter in a cafe. Oh one. my <laughs> gosh. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. Like what do you, what do you appreciate most about each one of them? Oh, like if you wow. have to pick one um, thing, I'm limiting you to just one. One, one thing. Yeah, one one thing about mm-hmm. their character or anything that you really appreciate about them that makes them who they are. Uh, with my daughter, I would say her openness mm-hmm. um, is just, it's remarkable and it's beautiful. And I know that it's the result of her feeling herself shut out at times mm-hmm. and so it's even more poignant because it's the evidence of her growth yeah um so that's sila for jacob my eldest son um i think what what most people might not even recognize in him he's very shy mm-hmm. um but he he is the embodiment of a perspective of justice like no one else I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I, even when he was much younger, uh, seeing him step into spaces and, and him challenge authority and challenge peers when he felt like what was happening was unjust. Uh, I think especially from somebody who's shy, that is, it just, it was so powerful to see those things happen and it continues. Um, and uh, Isaac, it's his ability to communicate mm. and his specifically his ability to communicate truth. Yes. Um, and, you know, I have memories of, of him sometimes not being as tactful as he could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and not understanding maybe that, that other people expect everything to come softly and him responding to that immediately by being able to say, um, you know, this is, this is why I'm saying this. So, you know, calling truth to something and then seeing that it might be hard for somebody to swallow and then explaining his perspective as opposed to softening the information, softening the delivery. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, that's been amazing. And he's, I mean, his, his ability to communicate now is in, he's multilingual and it's just wild. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, you hit you hit them all on on the head. Um, if I had to compare my two little babies to your adults, I think Miles reminds me of Jacob, oh. and like his advocacy, like his awareness of what's fair, what's not, yeah, is on point. And he's three, and it's scary. Like he's advocating for his cousins and, and whatnot and different spaces. And so it's, it's, it's incredible to watch. It's sad to have to witness that from a three-year-old, but it's incredible to witness. And so, yeah, he, he reminded me of Jacob in that way. Um, and, and Grayson is, is a little bit of Jacob too, as far as the shy part. Yeah. But her imagination 
for me is is of um, Isaac and her creativity is a lot like Asila. Asila, yeah. So she's yeah. like a combination of the three of them because of just how she is. She's wired. She can be shy in some spaces and then she just comes out like she's not even shy, but her imagination and creativity is where I see a lot of Sila in her. And yeah. then just the way she processes information and her thought and questioning is where I see Isaac in, in her. So yeah. it's 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 incredible. It's incredible to watch. It's I I mean, I really do feel like uh having had the opportunity to be their mother was life changing for me. Mm-hmm. And um grateful, grateful every second of every day. I mean, I tell you all the time, like, I think you're I mean pretty much superwoman, right? Like oh. what you've gone through Yes. With three? Yeah. It's nuts. It's 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 insane. <laughs> it's insane. And at the level in which you do it, the dedication, um, the resilience of not accepting what somebody else might say. <clears throat> even though even though you know it's gonna have a huge impact on you in a lot of situations financially or whatever, you're like, nope, yeah. I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna do make the decision because it's the right decision. And right. my kids need to know that the right decision is more important sometimes than the monetary uh, you know, gain mm-hmm. or loss. And those messages yeah. I remember vividly because it, it was a message that you sent not just to your kids, but to everybody that was around you. It's like, no, it's yeah. about ethics. It's about ethics. And, yeah. and that's, I think, one of the reasons where, why um, you know, I gravitated towards you in the early stages. Mm-hmm. You know, you. Um, but we'll get into that. I want to. I want to know how would you describe our relationship and what makes it unique oh, wow. in, in in your perspective. You know, it's interesting because you started off with that quote at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, if I had to, if I had to choose some some words to describe the friendship, I would say steadfast. I would mm. say, um, I would say weatherproof. Um, you know, and I think, uh, it's, I, I feel like there has, there has always been, uh, like a loyalty between us, Mm -hmm. um, that was a loyalty to people, like to the people that each of us are, um, a, a dedication to seeing each other excel and rise and, and even fall in what we wanted to do. And, you know, it's so true that, you know, you, yes, you've seen my kids through a lot of things you've seen me through. I mean, way more than I think most people see their friends through. And, um, and I've never, ever once had to question whether our friendship existed, whether it was true, whether it was honest, whether I could reach out to you. Um, even in times where, and this is where I say weatherproof, even in times where my life has dragged me one way and you're incredibly busy with, with endeavors over here and the opportunities to connect were fewer and further between, but it never, it never ever felt like the relationship and the friendship wasn't there. Um, I think a lot of people, even when we worked together, people felt like we were attached, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, um, and I, I feel like 
that wasn't that wasn't just because you were the best colleague out of the options. It was because you were and continue to be one of my closest, dearest friends. And why would I not choose to spend work time with you if I'm given that opportunity? Yeah. Um, because you're a mentor to me and you've you've guided me through many things and you've been my my sounding board and my resource and my humor when I've needed it. And I, I mean, I, I, sometimes I feel like the word friend, you know, people do throw it around a lot (laughs) and, and I am like you and I don't use it as often as other people. And I still don't feel as limited as the use is, I still don't feel like the word is powerful enough yeah. for the relationship I share with you. I agree with you on that. A thousand percent. Yeah. It's, I, there's there's got to be another word. Because yeah. if this is the word that everybody else is using right. for what, what they're describing. <laughs> exactly. <it's>, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is yet. I yeah. haven't learned the language within <laughs> which that vocabulary exists. But when I find it... Um, I feel like we have a very deep spiritual connection. Um, I feel like the planet intended us to know each other and to grow alongside each other. And, um, and, and it's, and I mean, I think that's proven in the fact that, you know, the way that we first met um, and then to just have you walk past me at work one day. Right. I think, (laughs) why is he here? Oh my goodness. Does he work? Oh my goodness, he's walking in the office. And I literally followed in behind you and asked the receptionist. Yeah, yeah, I remember that day. If you if you work with us now. <laughs> and she was so confused. She was like, well, why else would he be walking in here? Yeah. Oh, no, but he's my friend, so why is he here? I don't understand. My worlds are colliding. <laughs> <laughs> and great, now I'm going to have to want to come to work because I like somebody here now. <laughs> I remember that day. Oh, my gosh. And it was just so pivotal, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I feel like there's been opportunities for us to kind of interweave both prof- professionally and personally um, throughout the years since then. And oh, my gosh. Another blessing. Yeah. Man, I okay, so you remember the event? I think Yes. Now, was that the first official time that we met? Like we actually worked together when you helped out with obviously this I, I think so. Right. Um, but I I'm still struggling with that because it feels like even that day that I knew you already. Yeah, because and I don't be- know if that's just the energy you give. <laughs> no, no, you know what? You're you're actually right. I think I attended a few um the poets events Probably. before yeah. I actually hosted that first one where you came on board to to make it happen yeah. because through you I met um, Clyde. Oh, right. and and then it grew from there because I would attend here and there, um, yeah. so I would see you at the the cafe a few times, yeah. but we hadn't officially met. And I think right. I think through um, meeting. Um, Clyde for the first time and it was through I think it was through spin by chance and then and then you kind of made an official introduction to him memo was involved yes 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 yes. people back then oh my gosh now my question what what made you agree to support 
um, that initiative that I had going on at that, at that time. But you, uh, didn't, you didn't have to, right? I, you know, I think that um, space, there's not enough safe spaces mm-hmm. for young people to do what young people need to do the way they need to do it. Yeah. Um, and this was an opportunity to just unlock a door and, you know, make sure the lights were on and the, and, you know, the air was warm and the, and, (laughs) and, you know, the, the space was available, um, regardless of what it was, you know, like it was just to, to see a, a, a group of young creatives, especially, um, decide to own a space and own a process is so remarkable. And to be able to even facilitate that in the most minute way, like making sure there's toilet paper in the washroom, (laughs) I'm there, you know, um, because I think it's so critical. And, and as you remember, all three of my kids, they were very young. They were all there for the entire event. Yeah. Because to me, that's what community is. And and especially because of some of the challenges that we've had in our own family, they didn't really have a lot of older heads to look up to. Right. And I think it's critical. It's critical that little children have older children and, and young adults, young people that they can look up to and say, I admire this about that person. That yeah. person is modeling something that, um, you know, is, is, is an energy I like, or, a, is practicing a, a behavior or a skill set that I, I admire. I, I think there's, there's so much need for those types of relationships, those types of intergenerational non-familial, mm-hmm. um, relationships where, And I think this is something that I carried from Finch. Like community needs to watch out for community. And the only way to do that is to build healthy relationships among people of different experiences, different ages, different backgrounds, um, and and drawn together. And that was a moment of just seeing like like you came in and you and you had this energy that just had everybody in the room so excited to be a part of it whether they were presenting or they were in the audience whether it was their friend sharing a piece and they were just so proud to be associated with their friend in that moment like it was just an energy and a power that was remarkable to be around and um yeah minute by minute it just got better I was more and more uh proud to be a part of that as the night went on that was a great experience for me. Um, I don't know if you noticed that evening, at least for that event, a lot of the young people that were in that space, that was their first time meeting you, but it felt like yes. they've known you for a long time. It did feel that way. Right. And <laughs> I do think, though, that that's part of the environment that you created. And I think that that's something that I can say uh, very honestly from having, you know, shared spaces with you after that point in different capacities where, where people feel comfortable around you, people feel comfortable talking with you. And, and, you know, I think because so much of it is creative and, and wordsmithing, um, you have a way of helping people 
opt to share what is deep and meaningful for themselves. And I think that when you're doing that and you're sharing what is raw, if the people are in the room and they're, you know, smiling and supporting and enjoying and listening, it just becomes family very quickly. On that note, I consider you to be family. Um, Absolutely family. Now, what does that mean to you when you hear that? I mean, for, for me, and, and family is a tricky thing for me. Um, yeah. That's why because, I'm asking that. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, the association of the word with kind of the, uh, the, the idea of shared DNA and blood relation, that doesn't work so much for me. No. Um, to me, f- family is your safe space. Yeah. Um, fa- family are, are the people that you can um, rely on when you're feeling low. They're the people who celebrate you when you're achieving heights. Um, they're the people that you check in on that check in on you. The people that call you out when you're doing something foolish, hmm. um, but they call out your behavior as opposed to you as a person. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I feel like family, it's, it's, it's the people who, if they don't appreciate what you're doing, they share that with you and they share what would be easier on them. Not necessarily telling you what you need to do, but are being very clear about what they need for themselves so that that family relation can continue to be healthy and strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, absolutely. I, I mean, I couldn't even date back how early I felt like you were family. I know these three kids yeah. understand yeah. you as family without yeah question um and uh i just yeah it's it's so much more there's so much more we can obviously talk about um i want to have some fun with this segment now the thinking out loud yes okay so (laughs) (laughs) now the now this one is interesting because i want you to answer it without processing any allergies that you may have, okay? Oh, okay. Yeah, we have to omit that because otherwise then it throws this whole thing <laughs> off its rails, okay? okay? Okay. Would you rather swim in a pool of Nutella or a pool of maple syrup? Mm. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine which one would be easier to swim in. <laughs> And I feel like the maple syrup might be a little easier. And I, if it's if it's real maple syrup, definitely I'm taking that. <laughs> I'd probably eat my way through it though instead of swimming. <laughs> oh gosh, why? Why? It's just because it would be easier. Uh, I well, I I feel like it might be a little easier because I feel like you know Nutella is a little bit thicker. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I also really, I really do love maple syrup. And I understand that it's a, you know, it's one of these superfoods as well, which I don't mm. believe Nutella is, no. despite the commercials that used to show when oh, I was yeah. a kid. I don't, I don't think it's a superfood. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now, the last two years. Yes. Um, you know, how has that impact? What impact has it had on some of your relationships, whether it's friends or family or acquaintances? Mm. What toll has it taken? 
if any. Wow, it's it's been it's been really really challenging for me. I'm I'm a, I'm a proud extrovert mm-hmm. who couldn't extrovert <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that was it was really hard for me to kind of pull away from everything and everyone. Mm-hmm. Um and then to try to navigate how to how to and where to reestablish or rebuild it's so it's been it's been really hard like i think at this point i still sometimes like i'll still shy away from larger group gatherings a lot of the time or if i'm if i'm stuck in a larger group i'll often choose to be off on the side which never would have been me before right um i I would say that in terms of relationships that have either um, weathered or waned, um, I think the the majority of, of relationships that have petered out would probably be family relationships um, and that being blood family as opposed to family of choice. Um, and, uh, and that was necessary for my own well-being, um, yeah. I I felt like um, the the forced uh, like kind of forced distance and forced exclusion from people yeah. gave me the permission to to step away and and redefine um, what I needed out of those relationships. And in a couple of cases that it has turned out to be, I need nothing. <laughs> right, right. I need this to be nothing. Um, and, and that's been really empowering. Um, and, and then likewise, other relationships, I feel like even though they were um, maybe more distant in the past, have picked up th- throughout this period. Right. Where I think, you know, um, it's interesting how, you know, you, you call on certain people and certain people call on you and then other people just kind of like that, that, that drifted away or it fell away like a brick, but either way it, it went away and, and it feels okay. Um, and I think the most important relationship, um, change that I've had over the last two years has been my relationship with myself. Mm. Um, in terms of of actually having those bigger conversations with myself about what is okay for me and what is it that I need and what is it that would be beneficial for me, mm-hmm. not to be totally like uh, self-absorbed, but um, it, that was one of the things that I was always challenged by was was um, che- checking in on on relationships, also having value and benefit for, for what I needed. Um, I haven't always been great at that. And the last, um, you know, I think the last 10 years in terms of work has become much better at, um, stepping away from things that I felt like were not aligned or congruent with my spirit or, or my ethics and my beliefs, but I wasn't as good at that with relationships. (laughs) Um, and I held on to many relationships for the sake of history um, that, that were really um, exhausting me and really making my life difficult. um, And I didn't have the capacity to get out from under. Do you think the, the pandemic and being forced to be still 
allowed mm-hmm. you to process that and actually oh. work through those those relationships and figure out that oh wait I need to take care of me. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and I I think um, it, it, it's kind of the dual side sides of, of the pandemic, the, the part where you were separated from people and, um, and still and, and quiet and forced reflective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the flip side being, um, you know, I remember when, when we were approaching the very initial lockdown in that March and thinking, oh, this could bring out the best in people, yeah. but I'm really nervous. <laughs> I'm really, <laughs> really nervous. And um, and I think that um, that that other piece of the pandemic really kind of sifting away a lot of kind of superficiality to people's character yeah yeah was very helpful for me because yeah. you know you you see who people are in a time of crisis and we know that this is true mm-hmm. but we've never seen a shared crisis before to this degree right and so for the first time it was all relationships in my life were being impacted by the same thing simultaneously. So I was able to really start to notice kind of patterns and intricacies differently than I had before or than I had allowed myself to, I should say before. And, and that was helpful. So having the time away, but also the time to, to step back and, and look from a clearer headspace as people were like moving towards compassion or away from compassion was really, really helpful for me in terms of deciding what I would need for myself and, and, you know, for my family. Wow. Man. So we are near the end. I wanted to really get. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is fun. <laughs> thank you. I learned. I learned a little bit more today than I didn't that, ah. than I did before. So that's good. That's good. It's always good. Um, and I always tell people, there's no way you can know everything about an individual, regardless of how long you've you've been with them, right? So you've mm-hmm. been around them, and so appreciate that too, because recognizing that there's always more to somebody um, is is yeah. where the jewels are, and I think. Um, that's where, you know, relationships can actually flourish and continue to grow. If people are stagnant in who they are, then that relationship's roots are pretty limited, right? And, and mm-hmm. you know, um, but thank you for even just saying yes. I mm. want to, I want us to finish with this question. Okay. What is, you know, the most important thing to you in this life right now? you're so good at this (laughs) you know and it's 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 the perfect segue off of of what you were just saying i've known you so long we've talked about so many things for so many minutes over so many years and you can still ask me questions where i think damn i do not know how would i how do i answer that um you you have such a great way of 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 provoking uh deeper thought oh wow (laughs) Oh, um, I'm going to have to say congruency. 
I, I, you know, I, I became very, very attached to this word um, through my learning with um, solution-focused coaching, and um, and I just feel like every time there's a dissonance for me, it's because I'm existing or expressing in a way that isn't congruent to my core. And I think part of, part of being the best person that I can be on the planet um, among and with and towards other creatures, um, people and, and, and otherwise um, I, I have to have, I have to have that congruency. Yeah. I don't need people to agree with me and I don't need um, people to always understand me, but I need to know that I'm resonating outwardly mm-hmm. from the same energy that keeps me alive internally. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that was perfect. I'll, I'll take it. That was perfect. <laughs> I want to thank all my listeners uh, for tuning in every week and supporting the show. Uh, I don't know if people have noticed it, but we are nearing the end of 2021. Wow. I know. It's come. It's, 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 it's come. And I have this thought where I said to myself the other day, I started this show in February of this year. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I started it is because I was tired of planning it. Mm-hmm. And I had been planning it for two years prior to starting in February. So, you know, I read a book and the book just said, go ahead and ship, do it. Let the people criticize and you can tweak it as you're going along. And mm-hmm. that's what pushed me to jump into it. And it's the same thing when we first met on that event. Mm-hmm. You can plan it out, make it as perfect as you want. But if you don't ship, you don't reap the benefits of what could come. And what could come has been this relationship that I'm here with a friend of mine, a family mm-hmm. member, and we're talking about it how many years later? Yes. Right? And and I, I say that to say that for those listening, sometimes you just have to take the step. Figure yes. out the plan after you've taken the step. Mm-hmm. Right? And allow people around you that you trust and that you care about, that you believe have your best interest at heart to, to, to play their role and support you in that. Mm-hmm. And everything else will kind of align itself. Um, so without further ado, I want to thank Heidi for making this possible. And this episode is definitely one of those that's going to be a special one for me um, because of our relationship and who you are to me and my family. Um, and, you know, yeah. to the best way of ending a 2021 I want to thank you and again for the listeners for tuning in. Until next episode, love, peace, and nappiness. <laughs>